So we're going to be hearing from God from Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you can grab a Bible, page 185. So on page 185, chapter 6, and we'll start at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God 
so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Thanks, Rachel, very much indeed for reading that to us. That's fantastic. And thank you for joining us on such uh, a fantastic day to celebrate Sean's baptism. It's quite cold in that pool, actually. And Sean only gave a small scream as she went underwater. So I thought that was quite brave, actually. It's quite brave. Good. Well, we're going to be looking at that part of the Bible in our series on the book of Deuteronomy. And just as we begin, we're going to pray. So let's pray. Father God, with, with all that's on our minds, um, I pray that you'd settle our thoughts and I pray that you'd quieten our hearts and I pray that you'd help us to be ready to hear what you have to say. Please awaken our love for you so that we respond with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our strength. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this weekend has been a very special occasion, and last weekend was also a very special occasion for me. Uh, I went up and uh, took a wedding in Cambridge uh, for someone called Tabby, who some of you know, uh, and uh, she's actually one of my daughter's good friends. Some other people from Trinity were up in Cambridge with us. And uh, you may know that it's a, it's a very strange thing to take a wedding. It's a very joyful thing to take a wedding service. And as I stood at the front, there were really two things going through my mind. Um, the first one was, how can I be so old that my daughter's friends are getting married? That was the first, the first sort of thought that went through my head. How can that even be sort of vaguely possible? And the second thought was much more about the words of the service, actually. They really struck me. Um, as I was saying those words with the rest of the congregation. And it struck me that the wedding service is really a call to, to covenant faithfulness. To covenant faithfulness. What do I mean by that? Well, covenant, that's a binding agreement between two people. Um, Tabby, will you take Alex to be your husband? I will, she says. That's the beginning of a covenant relationship, a binding relationship between two parties. And then faithfulness. Well, that's in the, that's in the words too. So both of them said, and forsaking all others, be faithful to each other as long as we both shall live. Okay, covenant faithfulness. And if I could put it like this, that's the idea right at the heart of the book of Deuteronomy too. Medusa's already reminded us of that. Covenant faithfulness. Um, faithfulness in this sort of covenant relationship that the marriage service is based on, actually, which is the covenant relationship between God and his people, this sort of binding agreement. And um, previously, God had spoken to the generation before in, in the book of Exodus, and he'd spoken at a mountain called Sinai or Horeb, um, is, is another name for it. And, and God had begun this, this amazing project to gather together a people who would be his very own and who would show the whole world what he's like. It's quite dramatic, isn't it, with the thunder and lightning? I hope, I'm hoping that's sort of, you know, uh, bringing home the message of Deuteronomy to you. Uh, there was thunder and lightning on the mountain, actually, on Sinai and Oreb, as, uh, as this covenant relationship began. But now in Deuteronomy, there's this whole new generation, the sort of next generation. And, and 
Moses is talking to them right on the edge of the, of the land that they're going to go into, about a, a millennium and a half before Jesus. So quite a long way back in the Bible. And it's at this critical point, they're standing on the edge of this new land, on the, on the very edge of the, on, of the River Jordan. And there's this whole new generation, the next generation. And, and, the, and the idea is Moses is calling them to covenant faithfulness. That's the idea. And we need to know that because if we're Christians here this afternoon, if, you, if you're a Christian person, then you've come into this covenant relationship with Jesus. That's already began. And, and we're a whole new generation, if you like. We're, and, and, and the future is stretching out before us. And the question is, how are we going to be faithful? Yeah? How are we going to be faithful in this covenant that God has made with us? Have you ever felt that? You know, how are we going to stay in this covenant relationship for the rest of our lives? And this part of the Bible says this. It says, respond to the one Lord with one love. Okay, that's the first of just two ideas that we're going to see from this part of the Bible. Respond to the one Lord with one love. As Rachel was reading Deuteronomy 60, you might have recognized um, verses 4 and 5. In, in the Jewish faith, you say those words every day. It's called the Shema. And they're the words quoted by Jesus in Matthew and Mark and Luke when he's asked, which is the greatest commandment? He quotes from this part of Deuteronomy. We know he was interested in Deuteronomy 6. This is what it says in verses 4 and 5. Let me read it out. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Literally, it says this. Yahweh, that's the personal name for God. Yahweh our God, Yahweh one, you shall love. Because firstly, he is their God. He is their God. Look across the page to Deuteronomy chapter 5 on page 184. Have a look at that. And Moses is, is making exactly that point. So chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it says that the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Now you might think, actually, I thought that was the previous generation that God made a covenant with at Horeb. No, says Moses, verse 3, it was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us with all of us who are alive here today. You know, each generation comes along and God says, I am your God. I'm your God. You, you, God is outside of time, but he comes afresh to every generation. That's the kind of God he is. He, he speaks at the mountain in a specific point in time, and, and he breaks into history in the person of Jesus at a specific moment in, in history. But to each new generation, God says, I am the God of those who are alive here today. He's not just any old God. He is, he's our God. He's our God. He's not, not like some sort of absentee landlord. He's not a disinterested football club owner. You know, he's, he's not a remote deity up in the sky. He's the God who knows our generation and he knows our church and he knows our individual lives. And he's not ashamed to say that he belongs to us. He is ours. And he's the one God. Did you notice that? He's the one God. Chapter 6, verse 4. The, the Lord is, is one. 
you know what, once they cross over the Jordan, they're going to go into sort of wild west of pagan deities. I mean, this is crazy when they get into the land of Canaan, um, Asherah and, and Baal and Chemosh and, and Astarte. The list goes on and on and on. And um, when you try and worship lots of gods like that, you have to sort of play them off against each other. Yeah? Um, in the same way that we might have to play off the gods of... Um, work success and the God of popularity and the God of financial security. It's so exhausting to have to try and keep so many gods happy. That's why it's so good to discover there's only one real God. Only one real God. The one God who shows that he has the authority to, to run the show, to run the whole of history. The one God who comes in the person of Jesus Christ and, and opens himself up to scrutiny. You know, you can lay your hands on God. It's extraordinary. And, and if you know that there's one God, you see, then you know that his promises will come true. And there's no one to stop them. And his rescue can't be undone. There's no one to sort of undermine it. And uh, if he liberates you, then no one else can enslave you. What does Jesus say? If the Son of Man sets you free, you are free indeed. There's one God. And so how do we respond? With one love. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's the reasonable response, isn't it, to a, to a God like that. In the Bible, the heart is the seat of your will. It's the sort of driving seat. It's where you make decisions. It's where you decide what you're going to do, where you do your thinking. You do your feeling in your kidneys, actually, in, in, the, in the Old Testament. But your heart is where you decide that you're going to commit yourself to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your character, with all your personality, with, with everything that makes you you. Love God with that. And with all your strength, literally with all of your muchness. That's sort of what it says in the original language. Whole person love going all the way through your life, start to finish. All your intelligence, all of your know-how, all of your will, all of your individuality laid down in devotion to God. And as, as people stand with their toes in the Jordan, Moses says to them, our God is one, so love him with the, with the whole of what you are. Just commit to him without holding back. Like, like the bride saying, I will. Or um, saying, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. Those are the words of the, of the wedding service covenant faithfulness you see that's what it's all about respond to the one lord with one love and it's useful to know that because i i find that i can go through my christian life sort of ticking the boxes and feeling that i've, I've done what's required of me and i've 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 sort of completed the the christian sort of the checklist and and then i can have a bit of me time so I think, you know, quiet time, tick, there on a Sunday afternoon, tick. Other Christians seem to ask me for advice sometimes. That's a double tick. Perhaps that's why the Ten Commandments, and you can see the Ten Commandments just across the page in chapter 5. Moses has just repeated them to God's people. Perhaps that's why the Ten Commandments have a, a maximum application, not a minimum application in the Bible, and, and particularly on the lips of Jesus. Do you know that? Not, not a sort of, what can I get away with, but um, how can I devote myself to this? So chapter 5, verse 17, have a look down at that. It says, 
chapter 5, verse 17, you shall not murder. I, I mean, that, maybe you've been tempted to do that. Maybe there's someone here who's done that. I don't know. But um, for most of us, that's not, that's not an issue. Box tick, we might think. No, says Jesus. What about hatred in your heart? Have you ever felt that? Well, chapter 5, verse 18, um, do not commit adultery. You can see that. Um, if we're married, perhaps we stay faithful to our marriage partner. Box tick. No, says Jesus. Um, what about looking people up and down on the street or looking at people on your computer screen? Maximum application, full devotion. God's great project is not to produce a, a, a bunch of box tickers. That's not what God wants. But a changed people, a transformed people. So it's so very searching, you see, um, this part of the Bible. It's so searching. I, I might think to myself, I believe in God, but the Bible asks, but do you love him? And I think, I, I, you know, I love coming to church and whoever that guy is on the drums makes a great sound, you know, great songs. And, but, but do you love him? That's the question. Or I think, you know, I'm... It's good to follow the Bible because then my life, my life sort of works better. It's just it's more functional. Or I think um, I was always taught to join the planned giving scheme, so, um, so I've done that. Or I really enjoy a well-crafted Bible study. You know, a very satisfying thing. But the Bible says, but do you love him? Do you love him with all your heart and soul and muchness? Is that with all that makes you you? If your Christian life is a bit lackluster, the issue is so often a divided heart, you know. So often that. One Lord requires one love. And it's to be a love that lasts. That's the, that's the second of our two points. Respond to the one Lord with a lasting love. Um, I didn't actually manage to at another wedding um, caused, slight, caused mild offence actually in fact it was the only time I've ever said anything at the front of a wedding and everybody gasped at the same time it, it's quite an unnerving moment actually when, you, when you're sort of in charge of a wedding everyone looks absolutely horrified um, I, I was trying to be helpful I just began the sermon like this I said, um, I said the bride and groom are looking very lovely it's, um, it's great to be here today can I be the first to congratulate you on, on your wedding day the question we, we're all asking is how long will your marriage last? Is that, is that a bad thing to say? Maybe, okay, maybe it is, actually. There was a massive gasp that went up. I was, try, I was trying to be helpful. Um, big gasp that went out across the entire congregation. But, but Moses' concern is that their love should last, you see. He's talking about the future in the rest of chapter 6, verses 6 to 25. Is their love going to cool off? You know, are they going to they change their mind? How long is their love going to last? And so in the rest of the chapter, he gives three things that will help them to keep the love alive. And we might do well to think about them this week. And there might be good things to pray for Sean in our, in our Christian life. It'd be great things to be praying for you. The first comes in verses 6 to 12. Keep God's words in your conversation. Keep God's words in your conversation. Have a look at verse 6. Um, top of the right-hand column page 185, chapter 6, verse 6. This is what it says. 
These commandments that I give you today, this is Moses speaking, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, keep God's word in your conversation. When you're chatting with a friend in a coffee shop over a, over a flat white, when you're, when you're on holiday with your family, um, when you're at drinks after church, just talk about God's words. Keep them close. You know, verse 8, as if they're tied to your hands and stuck on your head, okay, or um, as if they're written all over your flat, or as if they're inscribed on the screen of your laptop and then sort of written in, in biro on the case of your iPhone. Keep God's words in the conversation. And then take God's words as totally trustworthy. That comes in verses 12 to 9, uh, 12 to 19. But let me read from verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Um, Massa was a bad moment for God's people, a particularly bad moment as it happens. When, when God had promised to bring them back to the land, and uh, they asked for another sign. They, they were looking for something beyond the, the word and the work of God. You know, we can trust that God's word is enough for us. It is enough. Yeah, that's all we need. Even when, even when suffering comes, those really hard times that Sean was talking about in our testimony, and they can be bitterly hard. And there's an amazing book by someone called Helen Roosevelt, who is one of my heroes. Um, she suffered some bitterly hard times, and she wrote a book called Enough. God's promises, his words and his works are enough for us. You know, be satisfied with that. Find reassurance in God's words alone. That's how we make the love last. And keep the conversation going. Take as trustworthy God's promises. That's how to keep the love alive. And then thirdly, retell the redemption story. And that comes in those final verses, in verses 20 to 25. Retell the story of redemption. Let me read out those verses. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulation, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. It's the Exodus. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to his ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. You see? Retell the story of redemption. So that when your son comes back from uni and he's brought home all of his washing and he's absolutely starving. And um, he's standing in the kitchen, his hoodie's going round and round in the, in the washing machine and he's having another bowl of crunchy nut cornflakes with a pot noodle chaser. And, 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 he, says, and he says, Daddy, it is just such a pain living for God. Uh, my flatmates think I'm stupid. I've got far too much coursework to do to read the Bible. And Sunday night is the best club night of the week. What do you say? You say, but God redeemed you. He redeemed you. 
You were a slave to your sin, but before your very eyes, Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and, and he rescued you with a, with a mighty hand. He, he trod that path and he was nailed to a piece of Roman timber so that you could be set free. That's not nothing. And, and, and in Moses' day, you might say to your son, in, in Moses' day, that if of, of, of verse 25, that was always going to make them worry, wasn't it? Would that make you worry? If you've kept all the laws that God's given, if, if you love the one God with all of your heart, that would be your righteousness. But for you, you would say to your son, someone came in your place who loved God with all of his heart. His name was Jesus. And, 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 and when he was tempted to go wrong, then he quoted from this very part of Deuteronomy. When he was tempted to give less than 100% devotion to the Lord his God, he loved him with all his heart. And now he is your righteousness. So keep his word close and, and love him with all your heart and soul and, and with all of your muchness. Keep telling the story of redemption. And Ben, just standing at the back there, was telling me uh, a story the other day um, that he got up in the middle of the night. I've checked this is, this is 100% true. He got up in the middle of the night quite recently. And he didn't want to disturb the family by switching on the, switching on the kitchen light. But he was feeling quite peckish um, in the early hours. So he decided he was going to have some toast. So he sort of felt his way around the kitchen, found the bread, put it into the um, toaster and sort of had some jam on it and, and, um, and, then, and then went back to bed. And then the next morning, um, in the daylight, he, he came downstairs into the kitchen and he saw the entire loaf was covered with green mold. Uh, and he, he just he hadn't seen it in the darkness. That's true, isn't it, Ben? That's, yeah, that's true. That is absolutely true. And um, it was only at that moment that he started to feel a little bit sick. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe you're starting to realize that you haven't, you haven't loved God with all of your heart and your soul and, and your mind and, and your strength. Um, that's true of me. I haven't been loving God with all that I am. Maybe you've just realized that for the first time. Maybe it's never occurred to you before but that actually that's, that's true of you. And it just starts to make you feel a bit sick in your heart, you know? Or come back to the story of redemption. Retell the story of redemption. Before our eyes, God sent Jesus to the cross, and he is our righteousness. And as soon as we ask him to rescue us from the slavery of sin, he puts us on the path to the new creation, to the promised land. And God looks at us and, and he sees the good that Jesus has done, not the wrong things that we've done. It is incredibly liberating. Jesus is our righteousness. And if he sets you free, you are free indeed. And so we trust him in covenant faithfulness and we say, I will. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the one Lord. Thank you that you are our God. And so we ask that we would learn to love you 
Thank you that Jesus Christ came as our redemption, as our righteousness, that, you, that from the moment that we put our trust in him, you, you, you look at us and, and you see what he's done right rather than what we've done wrong. And Father, I pray that if we're feeling a bit sick at heart of the ways in which we've lacked love for you, then I pray we'd know the redemption that he brings and gives freely. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen.